This is the No Dogma Podcast. I'm Brian Hogan, and today I'm joined by Andre Sumanescu of Lava Boom, joining me from Germany. Thanks for joining me, Andre. You're welcome. Hi. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, please? Um, I've programmed for about 10 years so far. I studied a bit in Romania, more in the UK. And since June last year, I've been working on Lava Boom as the CEO. So what is Lava Boom? Um, we are a startup in Cologne, Germany, and we try to offer a very secure email service. We do that by encrypting everything with PGP and trying to make using PGP as simple as possible for everyone. Because I've been, in the past, I've used PGP on and off but, you know, I'd forget my password, I'd lose my key, I wouldn't have anyone else who knew how to use it. So do you think that's the primary problem with adoption of PGP? Definitely. Um, I'd say that UX and maybe a, a I don't know, distributed or universal solution for key discovery that would also be reliable are the two main issues at least for me. I mean, even I, although I put a lot of effort into making Lavum secure and whatever, I'm a very lazy user and I, I want it to just work. I don't want to have to think about backup keys and stuff like this. Uh, so I, I want to type mail.lavum.com and just log in everything to work. So this is what we try to accomplish. But still, we still let people to go like paranoid levels and generate keys uh, on their computer only and upload the, their keys each time they log in, etc. So what prompted you to make Lava Boom? Um, I, well, I, I joined the project soon after it, it started. I had a, a lot of interest in the zero knowledge privacy area. Uh, but I, I just thought it's a cool and worthwhile project to do. Was there um, was there anything in when the when the uh, Lava Boom started? Was there something about the timing of it? Because I mean, I'm thinking Lava Boom sounds a little bit like Lava Bit, which had gone out of business a year or two earlier. Definitely, the name is itself a tribute to, to Lava Bit. We we try to to continue the the legacy so to speak. And obviously the Edward Snowden revelations also play an important part in our inception. Yeah, so for uh, for listeners who don't know LavaBit, if I'm right, it was the email service that Snowden used, which was then subsequently subpoenaed by the US government and ended up shutting itself down, I think. Yep. So on they, that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to add that they had to... Uh, the the owner of LavaBit had to surrender their TLS keys. So basically the, the state would get access to everything, all the private data, so he decided to shut it down. In the case of LavaBoom though, if I'm right, that's not possible. That you don't you ha you don't even have the ability to decrypt someone's emails if you wanted to. Exactly. That's how we design everything. Um even if someone gets complete access of our servers, I mean, yes, they could um, change the JavaScript we serve, and we're working on this. 
but even if they have complete control, they can't do anything with encrypted data. And we'll come back in a little while to some of the technical aspects, but I'm going to go more towards maybe the social things. Of You often hear from people, well, I've got nothing to hide. What's your response to that kind of common complaint about security? Yes, that, that's indeed uh, quite common. But you don't see people using Amazon and bank websites without TLS uh, because they don't have anything to hide. And even with email right now, you, uh, there are a lot of password tokens and private information, and confidential information sent via plain text email and flowing all over the, the, the web, which I found particularly funny. Uh, so it's not just about hiding. It's also about basic security. So if a user did want to go down this route, PGP already exists, but I think we've kind of said that it's, it's far too difficult to use. So for Lava Boom, your main goal, I guess, is making it incredibly easy. Because I, I have an account and I've never used a system with encryption that was as trivial to use. The only thing that I find a tiny little bit, obviously there's more work involved if I was emailing a non-Lavaboom member, I then need to import their keys. But aside from that, it seem, it, it's almost transparent. Um, yes, that's what you mentioned is the one of the last pieces of the puzzle. The biggest problem is the lack of infrastructure. There are uh, solutions to this, like Keybase.io, which is very helpful, or obviously existing uh, PGP servers. But a lot of this data, you can't just take it for granted. You have to vet it or maybe just present it to the user and ask them if they trust the keys that you could find that you could find automatically. But again, this adds friction to the UX and we try to avoid this. So once uh, until we crack this, we decided to, to wait rather than confuse our users. So, but I had a, I had a podcast maybe I think about a year ago with Hemlis. They were building a secure text messaging app, which hasn't uh, come to fruition, but there are things out there like uh, text secure and red phone. And now lava boom, by the, the simple act of using something like this, do I now stand out from the crowd and attract the attention of the people who wouldn't be looking at me if I was just one of the 10 billion people or 10 billion email addresses out there or whatever it happens to be? Now I'm no. one of a very small subset who maybe I do have something to hide. So maybe Hogan is worth looking at a little bit more because while well, he's using Tech Secure Red Phone and now he's using Lava Boom, holy shit, what's he up to? <laughs> That's a very good point. Um, I think there is a difference between PGP email and proprietary solutions like TechSecure or maybe Telegram. Um, I think in, email, in PGP email's case, and I, I, in my mind, I make a lot of parallels between PGP and TLS, and I think that with time, PGP will be less and less suspect for certain malicious actors. And Moreover, with Lavaboom, they can't really tell what you're doing, if that makes sense. They can only tell that you're using Lavaboom. Again, you, you raise a good point. You stand out because you use certain security services. 
but there are lots of, I, I'd like to point out, there are lots of categories of people who have a, a valid reason to use such services. They, they might be doctors or, or lawyers, or we had a, this is a cute example, we had a, a video producer, freelancer, who came to our office multiple times because he needed a secure way to do, to send video files to, to his clients. That was quite... No, it's the same thing over here. It's uh, it's very common to need to exchange documents with an accountant or a banker or something of that nature. And uh, I've had them suggest to me, oh, just email it. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we'll do something a little bit better. But even that little bit better is typically something like using 7-Zip with good encryption, which then requires the other user to install 7-Zip and you have to exchange your key through some other means. It's, 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 it's not easy yet. Um, so in order for, let's say, Lavaboom is one company. Um, are there other initiatives out there to introduce PGP in webmail? Uh, definitely. There, um, there's been a, a boom in startups doing secure communications, especially PGP email in our area, Germany and Switzerland, because from what I hear, the laws the are, are better here for protecting people's privacy. Um, and actually we have pretty good legal counsel, so I, I, I <laughs> I'm a programmer. Uh, I take their word for it. Uh, we've been in discussions with Dudanoda about how, which is also a German uh, startup doing PGP email, about how to make our users' lives better. And we, I think last year, started a discussion about intermail which would be a replacement maybe for SMTP and would make key discovery between services using intermail uh, very simple. So you wouldn't have to, if you had a, a contact using Tutanauta, you'd be able to seamlessly send him encrypted emails from Lavaboom and not worry that his public key is compromised or out of date or whatever. You, you wouldn't even have to think about, about it. Just hit compose. Does it, to wind back a tiny bit, you mentioned there that you've got a pretty good legal team. Well, what is the um, the case if you start getting legal requests, say for, I don't know, access to your databases or access to users, something? Well, I'd, I'd say this is where zero knowledge, uh, our, our zero knowledge privacy policy shines. I like to... to to prove how much I treasure knowledge by um, copy pasting people my account data, <laughs> including my encrypted keyring, because basically there is very little that we know about our users, and that works great for us. I mean, it causes a lot of pain in certain implementation aspects, but overall it's a huge win. Including, I mean, yes, if we get lawful legal requests to come back to the question, we'll just comply to them and not without worrying that we're compromising our users' privacy. Okay, so your goal here is to do something in such a way that even if a legal request comes in, it doesn't in any way reveal private information of a user. Yeah, I'm. I don't know whether this is true 
or is still the case. But um, there was the German law that uh, forced email uh, email providers to install some hardware listening, some sort of hard- hardware listening device in, uh, in their infrastructure if they had more than 50,000 mailboxes, something like this. So th- this is the kind of uh, constraints we <laughs> we had in place where, when we designed our system to build something that would not be bothered by such a thing. I remember yeah. seeing as well that you're making all, are you making all of your source code public or a portion of it? Uh, currently all of it. We plan to uh, offer some fancy features for enterprise as like make them closed stores and only offer them to enterprise um, customers. But so far everything's open source on GitHub. And is that uh, having these extra features for enterprise, is that to support uh, you commercially? Yes. We started as B2C, especially since we wanted to have a, a free plan. We want to make PGP email available to absolutely everyone who needs it. But on the business side, we have this uh, maybe intuition or uh, hope <laughs> that B2B will be the money maker because we've seen a lot of interest in small to medium uh, businesses around here who need internal communication. No, I can imagine, you know, obviously, as you said, medical field, financial, um, insurance, pretty much anything where you're exchanging in the U.S., something like a social security number or a bank account. Um, there were quite strict laws about the exchange of that, but I think they're often flouted based on what I've heard and what I've seen. So having having something that wraps up your email and guarantees that at least between internal users that you're safe would be a massive step forward. Definitely. One thing to go back to the source code, you know, it's one of these things, it's great for you to say that your source code is public, someone can go through it, someone can, you know, find potential security, but there's no guarantee that the source code that you display is the source code that gets deployed and is executed. Yes, so far, this is, this came up over and over again, whenever we had an AMA or uh, we talked to the public. On the front end side, this is quite tricky to do, especially if you dabble in JavaScript. Um, that's because it's very easy to, even if you have something signed or, I don't know, it's, because it's JavaScript and it's highly dynamic, it's quite easy to mess up or even worse for an attacker who has control over your server to uh, change things with malicious code. Uh, we have a couple of solutions on the front end. We can, uh, well, first, uh, obviously, we can uh, develop native apps for mobile, for desktop, and those have a way of signing the packages. It's, uh, they're safer to use. But on the front, front uh, on the JavaScript side, we can sign packages as well, either by using Chrome extensions or Firefox extensions, for example, or by simply adding a signature and creating extensions that check those signatures. Our uh, front-end app is plugin-based, and it, we could just independently sign and verify each plugin that's being used. If I was to ask you just a very simple and broad question, how does Lava Boom work? Well, it's 
it's pretty much a messaging service with an interface to SMTP. So it, uh, we're not fully microservices um, based, so to speak, but we have a couple of, of separate components. Um, and only one of the components deals with sending and receiving SMTP messages. And it can very well function as a, I don't know, as maybe a, a, as a closed system would like Telegram because um, we, we've done this in order to maximize security um, and, and like not just use off the shelf uh, software or components, which I mean, obviously it's easier to do because there's a lot of work put into it. There, there's stuff like I read mail or uh, mailbox, not the popular PGP one. There's another one that anyway. we, we built everything from scratch and designed it as a, a secure, high, uh, performant messaging service that can interface to SMTP to talk to the outer outside world. So when I'm using it, uh, I'll just kind of go back to being as a user. I come along, I log in, I'm presented a very, very traditional um, two, fra- uh, two CC subject body. I do my typing, I make my attachments, and then all of a sudden I see this um, crazy big uh, encryption block appear, and then my message is gone. So what's happening in between me clicking that send and it actually, let's say, making its way to another Lavaboom user who, who is also using the or to, sorry, to any other user who's using a PGP, a PGP key, excuse me. Yes. Well, uh, in, if that, as you said, crazy text appears, it most likely means that you send it to an encrypt, uh, to someone using PGP. So you have their public key and then everything gets encrypted on the front end. And that big blob leaves your computer, gets to our server, where it's just being redirected by uh, our mailer component, as, as we call it. Both internally, if there, some of the recipients are Lava users or to their respective mail servers. Uh, now, if the, the case where you send unencrypted emails is more complex because Obviously, we can't send PGP encrypted the PGP encrypted email to our servers because we wouldn't be able to decrypt it and send it to that user. So, basically, what's happening? The plain text email is being sent. It sits in in memory while it, um, while we get the the okay from the mailer that it we, it reached the mail server. Uh, and then we immediately encrypt it with the user uh, with the user that sent it uh, with his public with their public key. So it's uh, asymmetrically or uh, encrypted in a zero knowledge way. <laughs> so again, we we don't leave anything unencrypted. Uh, and when you you read emails instead of having IMAP or POP3, we just use our we use our own API, which is more secure on one hand and on the other, 
uh, we thought a lot of, about giving users IMAP or POP3 access, but that would mean that we'd leave key management to them. And we thought about scenarios like where they log in for five minutes on a library, on a public library computer and just forget their keys, or there's a computer controlled by an attacker, etc. So we didn't want to reach them. Or even uh, uh, by using third-party email clients, that uh, th those could be buggy or have security holes in them, etc. And one of the things uh, I, as a software engineer, I often do is I deal with usernames and passwords, and I deal then with hashing and salting. But as a user types in the username and password, at some point in my system, I have that clear text, and then I do my hashing, my salting, and I do a comparison. So at some point in your system, is there anything, and I know you've said it a couple of times, but even if you're logging in, is there something clear text at any point? Uh, yeah, there is, but it's only on your computer. I guess on the client side. Yes. Uh, if you don't select the private computer checkbox when you log in, that the plain text password only is only there for a fraction of a second while we hash it one time on the on the client side and then send it to our server. If uh, the thing is, the key rings are encrypted with your plain text password. So in order to decrypt them to be able to then decrypt your mailbox, we need your plain text password. So if you hit the private uh, computer checkbox, you, we won't ask for your password over and over again. Just going to save it for a predetermined amount of time. But what's being sent to our serve to the server is already hashed once. Um, and then obviously on the server, we use a proper uh, hashing algorithm uh, in our case script that hashes and solves the, the hashed password. I guess this leads to a very, you know, obvious question. What if I lose my password? Yep, that's the biggest problem UX-wise with our system. We thought about some workarounds like generating recovery codes, but it's pretty hard to, and we, we haven't abandoned that idea, but it's quite hard to design something that wouldn't compromise our zero-knowledge policy. Like that would allow us to get access to to your account. Uh, one option would be, for instance, a destructive recovery. Like if someone has used those recovery codes, your you you can't not notice that. Like you you either lose access or something you know, destructive will happen. But you know, we 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 try to wait until we find really seamless solutions. And so far, we just tell people not to forget their password. I actually, I nearly did, but luckily on about the tenth attempt, I was sort of, oh, it's, it was. I think in my case, it happened to be, I was attempting to log in with my username at Lava Boom, but that was <laughs> that wasn't working for me. So I just put username in directly, and then that worked. Yes, that that's an issue that uh, sitting our client web client repository for quite some time <laughs> to do. So we, yeah. we've talked about encryption a bunch here. So what type of encryption do you use? Um, 
not sure what you mean. So uh, if is you there mean... like, I mean, I'm not a big, I'm, I'm, as you can tell, no expert on this, but if I'm encrypting something for, with TrueCrypt, for example, I get an option of TripKey with DES, with Diff Hellman, with all those different kinds of things. Are they pertinent to this or is, am I, am I just not having a clue what's going on? Well, um, PGP and even like SSH or, uh, are like wrappers, so to speak, for that you that can use uh, a larger array of of algorithms for, you know, hashing or signing. And in our case, we use open either open PGP or new PG implementations with uh, support for as many algorithms as possible. Uh, and actually that's one of the problems with PGP. There is a lot of um, legacy you have to be aware of, but luckily uh, we, we're free to ignore, not only us, uh, it's common to ignore a lot of it because um, better algorithms have been created and switched to in, in the meantime. So uh, I'm not aware of all the details, but we try to, to cover and be compatible with as much stuff as possible. So one of the things that we've kind of noticed maybe over the last couple of years have been uh, a few major security flaws in open source software. And I'd imagine if you're open source, you're probably building on some open source components. And then in the event of something like a heartbleed that pertains to your systems, will that compromise users? That's a very good point. And we've actually had problems with open source libraries that just didn't have enough traction and scrutiny. But uh, we we have a rule right? for anything security related. We only use like standard stuff made either by by Google or or uh, the GNU folks. Or, you know. So we don't ex- experiment much on the encryption and security side. And as I said, come back to the zero knowledge stuff. It really pays off in cases like this. So you obviously have a, a server infrastructure as well. Um, I presume, do, do you host them yourself or do you uh, put them out into a farm or a yes, cloud? We, we hire, uh, we, we rent our servers right now, but it, we, we plan to buy our own servers in the future and dist- we have uh, actually we have data center distribution so to speak as well so we're not in just one data center but yeah the next step would be to buy our own servers and just wasn't a priority until now and are they located in germany yep do you plan to host them in other countries in the event for just geographical distribution, disaster recovery, things like that? that that's a very good point. Um, maybe <laughs> things would have to pick up financially uh, before that happened. Because right now uh, we are very happy with a couple of of servers uh, spread around Germany, our, especially since our code is very efficient on the back end, thanks to Go mostly. So kind of related to the, uh, the the data centers and your servers, how do you plan to scale your system? 
But uh, right now, that's not really an issue. We're on the low side of a couple of uh, tens of thousands of users. But our code is, and we tested our infrastructure with at least tens of millions of users. Um, so, so, yeah, we, when I designed the code and the components, uh, I had a couple of priorities and being it being distributed was one of them. I, I didn't want to, for us to hit, I don't know, one million users and, and go, oh, gee, we have to re- redesign everything now. And actually one of the, uh, or maybe two uh, of the keys of achieving distribution for us was were RethinkDB, uh, distributed NoSQL database, and NSQ, uh, a message queue region in Go. They're the, really the the glue of uh, everything in the backend. Whenever there's something to store, we just use RethinkDB, and whenever components need to communicate, we sync them by NSQ. It's quite neat. So as you grow, obviously, you're going to need money, either for equipment or for yourself, for employees. What's the... How, how do you monetize the service? Well, we simply have premium, premium accounts, but we, we're trying to, um, to raise Series A to uh, in the near future because we have a very ambitious scope and currently there's uh, there's not enough, uh, we don't think there's enough revenue in B2C to continue organically but we we ha- we took a very conservative approach to to um, getting funding so far i'm pretty sure we we're still bootstrapped so we haven't given any equity yet. but as i said uh, we need B2B. Uh, We strongly strongly believe that B2B is the key to us being uh, um, working on our own. On that point of trying to raise money from uh, a Series A or a venture capital, I I imagine, well, it's tough for any company, but for you, you'd pretty much have to find someone who has the same, let's say, philosophical goals as your company, who will give you the money, but won't, let's say, want too much in return from a let's say technology or compromise perspective um that's a good point but from what i've seen there's a lot of enthusiasm for from investors for this kind of idea um but sometimes it's easy to mistake enthusiasm for actual opportunities uh so we're still uh, we're still looking and I think you, hint, uh, you hinted at something here that, that's true. Uh, we don't want to to, to go for you know, a kind of predatory, predatory investor, if that makes sense. We want someone to really align with our, our goals, our long-term goals. Any final notes before we wrap up? Uh, yes, we are in the process now of moving to an uh, open beta so that everyone can try the service. Um, and yeah, we're, we're adding goodies and fixes every day. 
things are just progressing a bit slowly because we are really not that many. And uh, some of the uh, team members now are working part-time to so we save money to get to Series A. But yeah, we're, we're excited and hope to bring open beta and then the premium plans. We've had a lot of interest in that, especially in the custom uh, domain feature. Everyone's saying, when can I use my domain to <laughs> for my email address? Yeah. That, that's, that is something that people tend to like, and it's, it, it's something that's added value, and of course, premium charge more for it. Yep. Andre Simonescu, thank you very much for your time tonight. Very welcome. Thank you. Again. Yeah.